Isaiah 35 is our sermon text for today. Uh, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the dear ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with seeing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's the word of the Lord. Well, if you would, let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for opportunity as your church just to gather and to praise your name, to worship you. Uh, this week before Christmas, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in the way that we gather, in the way that we talk, in the way that we sing, in the way that we position our hearts towards you. Um, that line in there about anxious hearts, a little bit of my heart this morning, Father, just that you would capture us, that you would let our minds be stayed and focused on you, that you are good even through sickness or trial God, you are so faithful. We praise you this morning, and we pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Well, I haven't been up here for a while, so it's, uh, I do have a little bit of, of nerves. It's, it's funny. We've talked about that a lot. Um, I'm glad that we still get nervous. It, it humbles all of us who get up here. I don't think there's a person that gets up here to preach that aren't nervous. So I'm thankful for that because it keeps us focused on God's word and reminds us where our power comes from. Um, having Kelsey up here, I wanted her to read mainly so that you can see her. She is nine months pregnant, if you have not noticed. The last time I preached, uh, I don't even think she was showing, and so the Lord has been good. Uh, but this week, we had a little bit of a scare. We had Monday uh, afternoon, she started getting some pretty heavy contractions into Monday, Monday night, pretty uncomfortable, where we called my mom in the, about 12.30 at night, and she came over and stayed on our couch because we were headed to the hospital. But they were weird. The contractions just came and went. Um, we thought they were being consistent, but they weren't. And so it was just a very weird night, a night of anticipation, a night of waiting, a night of trying to figure out if it was happening or not. But for me, for both of us, really, it awakened these 
idea is that this child's coming. Like, it, it's here. And I think it also opened up the reality and fears of what that comes with. Uh, at least for, for me, some of the anxieties, I don't like the hours leading up to birth. I, I don't like that labor time. I like control. I like to know what they are. And she's going, yeah, me either. Uh, I think on my side of it, I'm watching her. I can't really help. I don't control the timeline. I can't control her body or thoughts. I can't even control my thoughts. It's just an out-of-control experience. And yet, there's a lot of beauty through that process. I see the Lord faithfully take care of her and to calm our fears. And when you get to hold that child, just the, the beauty of that. And so that's what I see exciting as we, we're going to dive into this text. But just knowing that God is faithful. And that's what we're hoping for. We, we know the reality that things could go wrong, but we hope and we wait for this child. We, we wait and we're at the mercy of the Lord. And so we see good signs though. We've had good appointments. We see a growing belly. We're at the point of nine months. And so we know the time is near. And I see God's faithfulness in uh, just our current children and your children are a reminder to me of how good he is. We've gone through a miscarriage, and I know that several of y'all have too, but even through that time for us, the Lord was faithful in protecting. And so this Christmas story, we're gonna, we've been talking through it. We've been doing Advent studies. Patrick will preach Christmas Day, and this hits so close to home for us. And so as we're reading this around the table with our kids, uh, it's a reality for us just to see Mary and her story. And so it's great anticipation for us this year and to see the encouragement through Advent. And so this text, uh, Isaiah 35, it's been a reminder to God's church and an anticipating text, an encouragement to God's church for so many years. But reading it, and you might have noticed, uh, I came across a word that I didn't know. I think it's crocus. It could be crocus. I don't know. Uh, it's crocus, the crocus flower. It's mentioned in Isaiah 35, and it blossoms in the Alps and in Europe and around the Mediterranean area. And as I did some research on it, it's this visual representation. It's a symbol that shows triumph over death. Uh, it gets buried under the snow in the winter, and it's always eagerly anticipated in those regions because when it flowers, they know that spring's on the way. And I read way too much into this little desert flower the last few weeks. And I looked at diagrams, and it's got cooking recipes. Uh, it's where we get the expensive spice saffron. I know that's in, like, songs and stuff. We don't really know what that is, but uh, super expensive. Uh, it's used in dyes for clothing, food coloring, and many medicinal purposes, like uh, anti-inflammatory. And I could go down the list, uh, but I won't. And then... I read Lebanon in there, and so I called Sam Cashew. I said, hey, I want to talk. Let's get lunch this week. And so I got to sit down with him, and he's lived a large portion or a, a big portion of his early years in Lebanon, was born there. And so I wanted to get kind of expert opinion and just talk through that a little bit. And so it's just really good to see God's Word open up to us as we sat down and we read it. He immediately pulled up several commentaries and devotionals, just really a sweet time for both of us to read and eat together and discuss God's word. And then later in that conversation, he read a devotional about the crocus flower, and it related it to, or the, its other name is the Easter flower, because two things, one of when it arrives around the Easter time, but also it reappears at the end of the growing season. 
And so just like Jesus reappearing from the tomb. And so it's this really sweet little moment in our study of just how detailed God is in his word. And so I want to look at it with you this morning. We're going to go a few verses at a time. But Isaiah 35, if you haven't opened that yet, it'll be on the, sp- the screen as well. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And so the chapter before this in Isaiah 34, if you go and you read that, it's, it's the opposite of what we read here. It's like God's judgment on the people that are against him. Uh, Isaiah 35 counters that, and it's really what is promised to those who are for the Lord. And just kicking off, he kicks off with this idea of this flower, this blossoming flower to draw our attention to what God is doing in the heart of his people, changing the landscape literally and figuratively, which you get a cool combo of that if you read 34 and then jump into 35. And so he draws our attention not to the vastness of the cosmos, or he doesn't take us back to those Genesis stories of creation, or you you ladies just walk through a study about all of these different Old Testament stories of God just being showing his power on in epic proportions. But Isaiah doesn't take us there. He draws our attention to this little desert flower that still grows today. And as I researched it, under the right conditions, when the winters are cold, it actually awakens this tiny bulb that's under the ground. And so before the spring rains come or really the sun arrives, this flower is already taking root. It's already growing up through the soil. And then after the springs come, it bursts forth in all of these different colors. It's orange and red and purple. And when this happens in the middle of a desert, that's what I was just imagining, this dry, arid, lifeless, kind of dull area. Can you imagine just this abundance of flowers kind of popping through the surface? That's the first thing that appears. It's those little green leaves that appear first and then the flowers. And then he mentions Sharon and Carmel. And so I researched that a little bit, talked with Sam about it. Uh, Mount Carmel is actually in Israel, so outside of Lebanon, but it towers over the coastline in, in Israel for 15 miles. And so when you read in Scripture, Carmel would be a real focus for the Israelites. They, God's people would have known this mountain. And then Sharon is the plain at the foot of Mount Carmel, and it's found further up, up the coast. It heads towards Lebanon. It heads north. And it's known as uh, a symbol of fertility because when the rains hit and the conditions are right, it bursts forth like we're seeing here in Isaiah, but not just with flowers, but also fruit. And then if you know other parts of Scripture that talk about Lebanon, the mighty cedars of Lebanon, that's, that's focused on this plain heading into Lebanon. They, it's so rich, this plain of Sharon, that it can host mighty forests. But Isaiah even doesn't even stop his focus on the mountains or the mighty trees of Lebanon or the plains of Sharon. But he says their glory actually pale in comparison to this tiny flower. Making the connection to the joy that is found and the promises that are coming when our hearts take delight in the Lord. 
So the focus isn't the flower. I want I want y'all to hear that this morning, that the focus isn't the flower, but the focus is our God. And so just like Advent, that's one thing that we've been teaching with our kids the last few years, is Advent's not even the purpose, you know? We get excited about that. We get wrapped up in the Christmas scenario, but that's not the point. And just like Advent is a constant reminder that Jesus will return, and for us to look around and anticipate this growing exciting event, Advent and the crocus, they're not the point, but they are avenues of God's grace, his mercy, and his affirmation for the believer. And so much like the budding of this little tiny flower, when we delight in God's glory and majesty, it's transformative. And so Isaiah said, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And so as we continue in this text and leading into Christmas, I want this to be a question that you ask yourself this week is, where do you see the Lord? Are you looking? So where do you see the Lord? Do you see him working in the little things? Do you see him even in that oh so little green that's pushing up through the cold desert floor? Do you see it in your week, even when it's early hours in the morning or you're fighting with children or you're trying to rush out the door? Do you see the Lord? Where do you see the Lord? want that to be a question we, we focus on this week. Because our hearts were created to worship him. He has made us to worship him. We were planted in fertile soils like the prairies of Sharon, drinking in the rains coming off Mount Carmel. And when we do that, when we're saturated in his love and his mercy, we, we blossom. It's purposeful, it's fragrant, full of beauty, just like saffron and the flavors it's used for. And so that little flower, or God's church, is a sign of the goodness that's to come. And so I want to take a little bit of a step back, because I'm not a flower guy, so I spent way too much focused on that. But I think it is a point that Isaiah draws our attention to. But relaying this to actual life, that the conditions of our life are often harsh, that often the lust of this world tend to crowd our mind and our eyes, right? Or anger wells up. It creeps in from weird places. You think that you've dealt with mom and dad or growing up or high school issues, but for a lot of us, we haven't. It still, it still lingers. So it creeps in through past hurts or maybe personal fears. He mentions anxiety in this text. Anxiety and doubt are really a big drive of what most of our culture focuses on or pushes. John talked about that last week with advertisement. The, the advertising world works on our fears and our, the way that we doubt ourselves. Our current political system is steeped in a desire to get more while the getting's good. We feel that often. I uh, think about workplaces. They thrive on pushing people and prospering, but often they leave you, me, behind. Right? They leave wake, a wake of families and individuals that are burned by their own workplaces. And so if we aren't careful and we look to all of these other things, uh, we continue to focus on the sin around us, it robs us of the beauty that Isaiah is talking about here, the intention of what God created us for. He wanted us to have eyes saturated in him and not hearts steeped in the cares of the world. And so I want that to be an ongoing question. Where do you see the Lord this week? It'd be a great question to ask your kids. It'd be a great question to ask your coworkers. 
he always intended for us to be eternally cared for and satisfied in him forever. That's a crazy thought. And so when we see that through the life of Christ, how faithfully God walked with his son, it's a great reminder that even through trial and death, we know the Easter story, that God is in the midst of heartache and sorrows. And so he provides a perspective and a provision here. And, and one way he does that, and Isaiah is going to get to it here, is uh, through celebration and thanksgiving. I think that is a kindness of the Lord as I think as we've gone through some deep hurt at different times. I've watched some of you go through really hard things. Uh, we've, we've battled cancer. We've walked through just irritating floods that just keep coming. Uh, God's been so faithful. And so even when trials are looming around us, I love that birthdays still happen. And they happen every year. And so even through some of the most terrible times, that has been so refreshing just to say, hey, we're going to put all of this aside and we're going to celebrate our kids or we're going to celebrate our parents or we're going to celebrate our neighbors or we're going to celebrate our grandparents. Uh, when a friend gets a new job, we get to celebrate that. When a neighbor comes home after a long stay in the hospital, it's something to celebrate even through hard times. When we get to go home, maybe for some of us it's a good thing, we get to go home and, and really have some good conversation with old friends and family. Or for me, a big reminder every single week is I get to see y'all when I walk in here. And God reminds me of just his faithfulness when we're greeted with sweet conversations of friendship. That this is not normal. What y'all just did upstairs to pray together and talk through God's word, that's not, that's not happening out in the world. And so that's a gift from the Lord that even through really hard times or hard weeks, that God is good. And so this little desert flower, Isaiah reminds us at times that life is harsh. That like the crocus, it actually needs a, a cold winter to start that growing process, to proceed into new growth. And then as I look through some of this, it just a lot of other scripture came to mind of how that's true. Psalm, I'm going to put some of these up. Uh, Psalm 35 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We also see it in Jeremiah and Matthew. There's so many verses I could have put up here. John 16, 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And in all of these scriptures, a beautiful thing in that is it's a, a plural addressing. It's addressing the congregation. It's, it's, it's us. It's the sheep of his pasture. And so it's a reminder that you may be going through this by yourself or facing something individually, but he's put you together with us. He's put me with you to walk through this together. So as we weep, he's turning our face to him. Even through cold, dark times, he turns our sorrow to joy, as the text says. And so it's this really cool progression that he'll walk through in the next few verses. So I want to keep reading here that as the Spirit works through us, our joy leads to proclamation. And that proclamation often leads others to join in in that proclamation. So let's keep reading. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, 
Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And so, even through a deep cold of winter, he brings growth for the believer. My mind went to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7, which talks about this exact same thing, that he comforts us so that we can be a comfort to others. And so it's an encouragement, not only for us, but to bring people along in that. And that's a really honorable position as a believer, that the Lord has called you out of your mess, out of my mess, to go out and be a representative, not only to the lost, but also to believers. And then Isaiah pushes us not to look upon our life and cower and fret, but he always is pushing towards expectancy, not just in Isaiah 35, but also in all the other texts. And so let's look at verses 5 and 6. He's reminding us that God will redeem his people. He says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so he comes back to this desert concept that lifeless things don't leap, right? He says they don't break forth. And if we're thinking about it, streams don't just appear in drought-ridden areas, right? The deaf can't just, he says unstopped, and I love that, and I've talked about my mother a lot. I wish if she could just unstop her ears, she could do that, but that's not how that works. But he acts like that's how it is, because that's how easy it is for the Lord to make things happen, that he could just unstop deaf ears. Supernatural, miraculous occurrences, and so that's how we are. We're the lifeless desert. We're the lame man that is now leaping like a deer. That doesn't just happen on its own. And looking at this, what would you say what would you say that we contribute in this text i love that isaiah says what we have to offer is blindness deafness lameness and silence but what does god contribute sight sound agility and joyful song it's really humbling it's really beautiful that god takes dead men and brings them to life and that's your testimony. And we forget it. Like, that's crazy, right? That dead things don't do anything. But the Lord continues to do that in this congregation. And I see people walk through the door every week and stories, and I have to reflect on my own. And I've talked about it. I used to be a really angry, angry person. And the Lord has calmed my heart so much. And so our story is that we're a people saved by grace. It is one of being dead and now alive in Christ. And it changes everything. God's power on display through us. And then look how Isaiah describes what God has done for us. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And this text continues to build. So listen to this. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And I think that's where I relate most in this text, right? That I am the fool who has chased after so many other things, but God, as his word says, being rich in mercy, 
says that even the fools, even the injured, even the crippled and the hurting and the abused and the lowly man who has nothing to contribute but what? Blindness, deafness, lameness, and silence. That person has hope. Man, woman, child. And that's, that's really great rest for our souls this morning. I take comfort in that, that he's made a way for this fool, but I also know for all of us, right? That provides so much for us. I don't, and I don't want to miss out on that during this holiday season. It's a season that's typically overshadowed with a lot of greed, and it hides it really sneakily. It's a season that often is uh, selfish, maybe produces a lot of anxiety. But Isaiah 35, he speaks of what is truly the gift. And I don't want to say Jesus is the reason of the season. But what he is doing is revealing what really is at the heart of what we're chasing. It's God. Even through this season, what are we chasing? We're chasing God. My wife prayed this last week. I don't even remember where. Maybe prayer meeting. Uh, Psalm 1611, and I can't get this out of my head. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God bringing us from death to life, and he provides everything we need. And now as representatives, we get to go out and show his love to the world. And so Isaiah continues on. No lion shall be there nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So far above this landscape that he's kind of pointing our attention to, in the protection of, from everything evil, God created a place that even the fools can walk in and find rest. And so I just want to throw out another question is, would you describe yourself as Isaiah does? Do you, do you feel redeemed? You feel bought at a great price. Because for the believer, they are. And they have the opportunity to be under the protection of the God who did make the cosmos, right? He was the God and is the God of creation. And so that's a huge way this week that we can look around, even in this room, and see God's handiwork. I see it in all of you guys. He radically changed the landscape of our lives. And so... Leading up to Christmas, um, I'm going to encourage you to go read a really hard text in Isaiah 34, and then reread Isaiah 35. And I want the question to be, which one am I? Where do I find myself? Do I find myself in the judgment of the Lord of Isaiah 34, or do I find myself in the redeemed freedom of Isaiah 35? Isaiah 34 is how it ends for those who put their stock in everything else, and Isaiah 35 is what it will look like for the people who place everything into the hands of this God that Isaiah is talking about. And so what's the outcome for the believer in 35? He says this in verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And come to Zion with singing. Every lasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so I just, I wrote this down. Created things cannot produce the living affection and everlasting joy found in the Lord. 
So think about that this Christmas season, that created things cannot produce the living affection and everlasting joy found in the Lord. That's why Christmas leaves us so empty. We talked about it last week as well. It can't provide what the Lord is offering here. It just can't. You're not going to unwrap it. You're not going to find it at Target. Amazon can't ship it to you. So what it comes down to is relationship with the Lord, communion with the one who is perfect, that he provided a perfect son as a perfect ransom, but it requires something, that we were made for worship and eternal communion and satisfaction in the Lord, but it requires obedience. Deuteronomy 28.2 says, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so the blessings that we read about in Genesis, that Deuteronomy speaks of here in Isaiah 35, they will absolutely overtake you and be yours. Isaiah says, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow, and signs shall flee away. But it's conditional. If you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. And so it doesn't actually say that in Isaiah 35. Uh, but if we look at the full of Scripture, we know that the, what the Lord is saying. It's actually the warning of the previous chapter, that if you do not obey the Lord, this is what it looks like. But if you do obey the Lord, we get the blessings that Isaiah is talking about in 35. It's the message that we spoke of in Malachi. If we jump back to First and Second Peter, it's what the Lord is calling us into. The Gospels from David, from Isaiah, if we're reading through these Advent texts of Joseph and Mary and all the minute details centered around this Christmas story. So many promises after promises after prophecies fulfilled for those who keep their eyes on the Lord. But even in that, obedience isn't something that we can just will. And that's another sermon. I don't have time to even go into that. But we are not good or righteous enough. And so this crocus plant, I'm going to get back to that because now I am such a flower guy, um, it only grows about one to three inches. It doesn't even have a stalk or a shoot. It just kind of produces leaves, and then right on top of that is this flower. And so it's not even a super great sight to behold on its own. Uh, its value on its own isn't really much at all. You would need hundreds of these flowers to produce the expensive spice of saffron. But where its greatest value lies is its ability to withstand those really droughtful times and then those deep winters, and it still sprouts. It still is a sign of anticipation of what's to come, that the rains are on the way, that spring is here. And so when you see this flower, and there's other variations of it. I looked up, you know, going down this trail. There's some in Canada and mountain regions as well different version of it here. But when you see that flower, everybody in those regions know that the rains are coming. And so in a very arid land, this is indeed a sign of great promise. But the crazy thing in that, or the cool thing that I see in this, is that that's you, right? When people see you sprouting up through the grace and mercy of the Lord, you provide great promise. You show people that the Lord has indeed redeemed. And so the things that the Lord is doing in this room and in your kids and in our families and with our parents and with our neighbors, it shows everyone around us what's to come. To the lost, we are a reminder 
of how transformative and kind our God is. And to other believers, we are a reminder not to forget all that God is doing and what he will do. And the line in this text that I love, I've already mentioned it in my prayer opening up, but it says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God will come. And maybe that's all you do this week is you hold up the people around you and say, hey, do not forget what the Lord has done. Jesus was condemned, crucified, and buried. And so for many of his followers at that time, they seemed, it seemed like it was the end. That this is the do that we hope for, right? And then he was buried and in the ground, and so they just found him gone and lifeless and cold. But like this flower, he came forth from the cold tomb to reveal the glory and affirm his identity as truly the Son of God. And so he was a herald of new hope beyond all imagination, that eternal life for those who are dead is possible. And so that's a great comfort that not even fear or physical death can hold humanity down. That's not something that can even take us captive, right? That your God is over that. Obedience in us requires the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and this little flower is a picture of that, a reminder, this Easter flower that he made a way. It's not something that we can do. When writing about these promises, I read this quote from Ray Ortland talking about Isaiah 35, that they, you, will receive it the promises of God, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus lived and died for them. And though the pursuit of their joy in Christ may cost them everything here in this world, they don't mind. They gladly leave it behind and press on toward a joy that can never end. So that's what we get to celebrate this week. I'm going to end on that. That created things can't produce the living affections, and everlasting joy found in the Lord. But you have a testimony. We are a testimony of his power and might on display. And it's a position of great importance for us. And so the focus isn't the flower, right? The focus is the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you again this week, look for him and look to him, okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for a really encouraging text. We've walked through a lot of hard texts over the last few years, but your glory is on display in this and in your word, and I pray that we would open it up and enjoy it. I pray that we would see our position as small. I pray that we would see ourselves as not having much to offer, but Christ is everything. Father, that you have redeemed us through the glory and power of Christ and you even use our nothingness or our little amounts to offer as great avenues of joy and peace for those around us. And so I pray that we would put you on display this week. I pray that we would press into your word and ask you to reveal where our hearts lie. God, where our attention falls. I pray that it would fall on Jesus. I pray that your church would be encouraged. I pray that this week would be enjoyed and Christmas would be so great 
I pray that you would provide rest for your church. I pray that this would be an opportunity to walk into families' homes and put you on display. Thank you for the testimonies in this room. Thank you for your protection. We love you. We trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.